0: Father, here we are again, totally dependent on You and totally dependent on Your Holy Spirit and Your Word. And Lord, You called us to a a spiritual birth by Your Holy Spirit. You drew us unto Yourself. You called us to faith in You, and, and as we put our trust in You, You gave us a birth. We were brand new. And Lord, we're here tonight for... Some of the milk and some of the meat. We ask that you'd nourish us by your word and, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate it and help us help us to grow. Lord, help us to grow up. We want to mature. We want to be strong in Jesus. And I know that you've got some really neat things for us tonight in this study and, and so um, we just pray that we could come with open hearts and open minds and and just let you do your work in us. We trust you completely. I thank you, Father. Thanks for calling each person here. And Lord, as you sow the seed of your word in our heart, I pray that it would take root and just grow up and and bear some healthy plants and fruit that would remain. In Jesus' name. And we are in the end of Matthew's Gospel tonight, chapter 20. We left off with verse 28. The last verse we read last week was, Jesus' words there that said um, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. We know that one of the sure things about life is death. And each one of us has an appointment with death at some point. But Jesus was born incarnate god in the flesh for the purpose of dying for the purpose of serving and dying and and uh, you know I know that's not our purpose our our purpose god's got a plan for us while we're here but I look at this one verse verse 28 of of chapter 20 that says just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve. That's what Jesus did. He came, he served, he laid his life down. And he did some things that, wow, when you talk about the creator of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you go. he took a towel and wrapped it around his waist and washed the feet of his disciples and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and then it says, and to give his life a ransom for many. He's the only one that could ransom us. He's the only one that could bring us into the fold into the kingdom and I look at all and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem now he knows the purpose he's told the disciples over and over I'm going to Jerusalem I'm going to be handed over to the elders chief priests teachers of the law they're going to mock me ridicule me spit on me I'm going to be tortured and I'm going to suffer a criminal's death I'm going to die I'm going to be crucified but on the third day I'm going to rise again now he's on his way there That would be enough to pretty much blow a gasket for any of us. And Jesus is still serving, still giving his life a ransom. Look at the next verse. Verse 29 says, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And you can probably picture that by now because of the things that he's been doing and fame has spread about. Now there's this huge crowd following him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. I think that these guys were shouting that because they knew that he would. They're blind. They can't see. They hear the commotion. They know Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So they start raising their voice and shouting for Jesus. Lord, they call him Lord. They give him this title, Lord. And when they say Son of David, that might not mean much to you, That might not mean much to me. But to a Jew, that meant Messiah. That meant long awaited Messiah. So they're giving Jesus the glory. They're they're glorifying him with the title Lord, Son of David. And notice through this whole gospel, through all the gospels, we see Jesus having compassion on those that believe in him and those that trust in him. He's full of compassion. They shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, no doubt these guys had heard of Jesus of Nazareth. They've heard of his fame. They've heard of his miracles. And they cry out, and even when the crowd tries to stop them, they shout all the louder. So Jesus stopped. And he calls them. What do you want me to do for you? Now, does that seem like a kind of a silly question? Jesus knew they were blind. I think he also knew what, what they wanted. However, have you, you ever had anybody pose this question to you? Why do you pray? Why do you make your requests known to God? The Bible says he knows your requests before you even ask him. So why ask him? You know why? Why would you do that? Well, this is an indication that Jesus wants to hear them say it. The Lord wants us to bring our needs to Him. He wants us to do that. He says, "Cast your cares on Me, for I care for you." He wants us to bring up. Sometimes you ever feel like you're bugging God? You know, you got this prayer list, and you're and you're going down this prayer list, and and their needs, their needs. I mean, these guys were blind, and they had a need, and Jesus said, "What do you want? What would you like Me to do for you?" What if Jesus asked you that tonight? You ever thought about that? If Jesus said, what, what, what would you like me to do for you? Wow, I thought about that as I was preparing for this study and I just started writing in my journal. All the things, Lord. Cleanse me. Use me. Somehow. Open my eyes. I want to I learn more. As I was studying this, and I don't know if any of you picked, on, picked up on this, but... This account of, of of the blind men it's also mentioned in Mark ten and it's also mentioned in uh, Luke eighteen, but in those accounts there's only one guy, and here there's two guys. Now, I'm starting to think Luke's got double vision. You know, because this is like th- there's three times Luke does this in his gospel. Remember the demoniac. The other gospels say there was a demoniac that came to Jesus and Jesus cast out a legion of demons. Well. In Matthew's Gospel, he says there were two demoniacs. Now we come to verse, that was uh, back in chapter 9 of Matthew's Gospel, 9 9. He said there were two demon possessed men. Now we're in chapter 20, verse 29, and it says there's two blind men. And we get a little bit further into the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and Matthew sees two donkeys. Yeah, the other ones only talk about one. You know, And so I'm going, what, this guy got double vision or what's going on here? My answer? I don't know. I really don't know. But I know that nothing is in the scriptures that doesn't have meaning and doesn't have a purpose. So I'm going to start to dig and I'm going to dig and dig and dig and I'm going to seek the Lord and I'm going to try to find, Lord, what's up? How come Matthew says two? Three times now he said two when everybody else said there was one. I wrestle with that. I wrestle with those kind of things. Last time when we were in chapter 9, if you remember, we were going through Matthew's gospel in chapter 9, and I'm thinking, I wonder if the Lord just allowed that. I mean, there's always the possibility of a copyist error. There's always that possibility. But I wonder if the Lord just doesn't give people ammunition not to believe. Here's an excuse for you. Matthew says there's two demon-possessed guys. Mark says there's one. Luke says there's one. Matthew says there's two blind men. Mark says there's one, and he names him Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. Bar means son of Timaeus. Son of Timaeus. He names him. Luke doesn't name him, but he says there's one. And I'm going, what's up with that, Lord? I, I don't get it. Is there, is there something I should know? And I, you know, the commentators will say things like, well, Bartimaeus, or son of Timaeus, was obviously the more uh, well-known of the two, so he's mentioned by name, and the other one's not mentioned. I don't know. I really don't know. I've yet to hear a good answer for this, but I know there's an answer. So anyway, let's go on. They're they're crying out. Lord says, "What do you want me to do for you?" He asked. Lord, they answered, "We want our sight." Oh, that was one of the things I wrote in my journal. Lord, I want my sight. I want to see Jesus. I want, to, I, want to be, I want my spiritual eyes to be open to the point where I know his will. I want my ears to be open to the point where I hear his voice among all the other clatter, all the other stuff that's going on around me. I want to see Jesus. I want to know his voice. I want to follow him. That would be my, my request. They said, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight, and they followed him. Wow. That's pretty intense. On his way to Jerusalem, he stops to heal these guys. Hmm. And they're thinking, you know, Jesus is my one chance for sight, my one chance for a new life. Hmm. I want you to make a note of this, too, because when the crowd was discouraging these guys, That's what the crowds will do. When you decide you want to follow Jesus and you want your spiritual eyes open and you want your spiritual ears open, the crowds are going to diss you. And they're going to put you down. They're going to say, why don't you just be quiet? Well, I just want to encourage you to shout all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. They followed him. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. Now again, Matthew sees two donkeys. <laughs> Going. I, I've been really struggling because my prescription, I think, is getting old in my glasses. And I've been struggling. The last couple Sunday mornings in a row, I, I, I misread something and somebody would say, oh, no, it says this. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad you guys got your Bibles open, you know. But I can tell that it's time. I got an eye appointment coming up in April and it's, it's time. It's time for a new prescription. I don't think that's Matthew's problem. I don't think Matthew got bonked on the head and he's seeing double. And there's something to this. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Verse 5 says, Say to the daughter of Zion, you know who that is. He's speaking of Israel here. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I can understand that if there was this mother donkey and this colt, this pole of that donkey. You'd want to keep the two together. You don't try to separate those two. If you're I don't know how many of you that know like horses or donkeys or mules or whatever, when you don't or even goats, you know, you just don't you don't do that. I can picture this. But the prophet that Matthew is speaking about here is Zechariah, and Zechariah nine nine is where this comes from. This prophecy. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, I want you to leave Matthew's gospel for a second, and I want you to turn over to Luke's gospel, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. There's an interesting quote that I want to show you from Jesus. If you go to chapter 24 in Luke's gospel, and then look at verse 44, okay? Now, of course, this is after the resurrection. Jesus comes back. This is right after the incident, the road, the road to Emmaus, where Jesus reveals himself. But in verse 44, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be filled, fulfilled as it is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Remember, Jesus said, I, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. Now he specifies everything that was written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms needs to be fulfilled just as it's written. So when you read this, that these things happened in Matthew's gospel, that these things happened to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, I want you to understand, 38 times in Matthew's gospel... He says, this happened so that this would be fulfilled. Or this is to fulfill the prophet so-and-so. 38 times. Matthew is revealing Jesus, the fact that Jesus is fulfilling the written word. Now let me show you something. Turn to um, the book of Psalms. And chapter 118. The 118th Psalm. This is pretty cool. We looked at this at... uh, at youth camp. How many, um, how many of you have ever heard the song, This is the day that the Lord has made? You heard that song? You have any idea what day he's referring to? Or do you just think it means every day? There's a specific day that the scriptures are referring to when he says, This is the day. That's what we're going to look at right now. I mean, and you say, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know the song. But there's a specific day that the psalmist is referring to. Look at that. I, want to I want to start with verse 19 in chapter 118. Okay? Oh, by the way, this is the central chapter of the Bible. This is the middle of the Bible. Psalm 118, it's the very middle. Do you know that verse 8 is the middle verse in the Bible? Look at Psalm 118, verse 8 once. This is the center of the Bible. Listen to what it says. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Isn't that what the whole Bible is about? The central theme of the whole Bible is the central verse in the Bible. This is the verse that's right dead center in the Scriptures. There's some remarkable statistics about this verse. I, I quote them for you, but I don't, I don't know them offhand. But uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing that that central verse would be, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Now, verse 19, take a look at that. It says, Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. Now, does that ring a bell? The gate of the Lord? Who said, I'm the gate? Yeah, Jesus did, didn't he? In in John chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I'm the gate to the sheepfold. And anybody that comes in any other way besides coming through the gate is a thief and a robber. Now we read, this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. How do the righteous enter? Through Jesus. Didn't he say, no man comes to the Father but by me? This is so cool. He says, I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Make a note of that. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Is this a cool song or what? Verse 24. This is the day. The Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now watch what he's talking about here. He's talking about a specific day. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us with bows in hand, Join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I want to show you something about this verse, about this this Hallel Psalm here. I want to show you something about this. The day that's referenced here may well be the day that Jesus enters Jerusalem, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. 9. Why do I say that? Well, let's turn back there. I'll show you why. Matthew, chapter 21. It says, verse 4, we just read, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Now remember the instructions. Go into the village, and you'll see a, a donkey tied up and, and, and with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me, Jesus said. So they did what... This is a cool thing. If you want to be a disciple, one of the keys to being a disciple is listening to the words of the Lord and obeying. So they did that. They took his instructions and they did that. They brought the donkey and the colt they placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Now, when he says he sat on them, I think he meant he sat on the cloaks. I don't think he meant he sat on both donkeys. Okay, I think I think that's a reference to the cloaks there. But nonetheless, there were Matthew saw two, and and uh, it says Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Remember what we just read in Psalm 118 about with boughs in hand? It says, They cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of Him and those that followed shouted. Now look at what they're shouting. They're shouting the same thing that we just read in Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Well, guess what? Your king is riding into town. And... It was a different story. It's very symbolic that Jesus would choose to ride on a donkey. Now, Zechariah says he's going to come in meek and low or humble riding on this donkey. That's true. That's a humble thing to do. However, kings rode donkeys, but they only rode donkeys when they meant peace, when they were coming in to bring peace. Do you realize that Jesus came into Jerusalem wanting to bring peace, but they rejected him? Next time, what's he riding? Yeah, a white horse, isn't he? He's riding a white horse. Well, kings also came in on white horses. But when they did, they meant war. They meant business. And so there's a difference here. We're seeing Jesus come in, and and he's coming in on a donkey this time around. Look what they say. Look what they shout. Hosanna. Hosanna. That word literally means salvation or save. Save. Salvation. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, wasn't that interesting? We just read that. This is the day, you guys. I really believe. This is the day. Hosanna in the highest. Salvation. Salvation. The one who came from God's very presence. Hosanna in the highest. Now, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Now, that's a question that we still have to answer today. And those of you that are here for this study tonight have answered that in your own hearts. You know who Jesus is. You know that he's the Son of God. You know that he's the flesh of God come down. When you first... Decided that, as the Holy Spirit drew you and revealed that and you put your faith in Jesus, you were born again. That's a very important. who is this? That's the question, who is this? But I want to show you something this time. Turn to Luke's gospel again, but this time, chapter 19. In chapter 19, we see this same account, but I want you to turn uh, toward the end of chapter 19. And if you look at those words, uh, verse 38, again, we're, we're looking at this. The, the, the title in your Bible is probably the triumphal entry. I think that's, that's a kind, of a, kind of misleading because the triumphal entry hasn't happened yet, in my humble opinion. The triumphal entry is when he comes on the white horse and he will triumph. This was meant to be. A triumphal entry, but he was rejected. Verse 38 said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. We just read that in Matthew. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, you know what a disciple is. It's a student. It's a learner. It's a follower. Rebuke your followers. Don't you hear what they're saying? Why would would they say... Rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop saying that. Because they knew what he was saying. They knew what the crowds were saying. The crowds were saying, This is the Lord. This is the Son of David. This is the Messiah. And they said, Jesus, don't you hear what they're calling you? You better tell them to stop it. Look at his response. I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If you... And this is very important that you catch this. If you, even you. And he's speaking about this city of peace, this city Jerusalem. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Now, let me ask you this. Those that have asked the question, who is this Jesus, and come up with some other answer beside the one that the Father revealed. Remember what the Father revealed to Peter back in Matthew 16. The revelation was, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. If somebody comes to another conclusion beside you're the Messiah, they're blind. They're blinded. Their scales on their eyes. In fact, John calls them of the spirit of Antichrist. They deny that Jesus, that is Yahshua, Yahweh is salvation, has come in the flesh. They're of Antichrist. Now think about this. Two blind guys. These two blind guys knew who Jesus was? What excuse will anyone have? What excuse will anyone have? Who is this Jesus? He says, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. By the way, I I still think part of this prophecy is yet to come. Whenever we get an opportunity to talk to um, people in Israel, we had one group that was really angry with us and wanted us to leave because they knew that we were Christians. They knew that um, we were street witnessing, and they wanted us to just pack up and go home. And I had an opportunity to talk to one of the kids. He was really angry, and and in fact, he was kind of looking for people to... He was going up and down Ben Uda Street trying to round up people to beat us up. And, and um, when I talked to him, I said, don't you realize that we're the last people on earth that love you guys? And his jaw just about hit the pavement. I said, hasn't that clicked yet? Why do you think we're here? You know, He says, you're just here to convert us. We're here because we love you. And soon... The church is going to be pulled out of here. The Lord's going to take his ambassadors home. We're going to be gone. And then the scriptures say, that's the time of Jacob's trouble. That's the time when all hell breaks loose. But on Jacob, on Israel, that's the time of Israel's trouble. And so here, Jesus says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They'll dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls. They will, leave, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of what? God's coming to you. Oh, you don't think Jesus claimed deity? What is that? Because you rejected the time of God's coming to you? That's pretty clear. It's pretty clear to me. Now, I want you to understand that in 70 A.D., when Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed, That was the short-term fulfillment of this prophecy. The long-term fulfillment of this prophecy is yet to come in those last seven years in that Jacob's trouble. And Jesus is letting them onto that. Now, if you go back to Matthew's Gospel and you look at the scene, remember the scene here now, Jesus is coming in. I just wanted to show you that because there's a different picture in Luke. Luke says the Pharisees got upset and they said, Jesus, you need to tell your disciples to cut it out because they're blaspheming. They're calling you the Messiah. They're saying that you're God. You came down from heaven to save the world. And so they're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple area and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers, and the benches of those selling doves. And we talked about this. We went through this in in uh, John's Gospel too. It's an interesting thing, though. The the disciples remembered that um, the verse of Scripture that says, "The zeal, you know, the zeal for the house of the Lord consumed them," and they remembered that verse of Scripture. It, it, it's interesting that that Jesus goes in there and and is upset with something that's going on in the temple area. Actually, this was the outer court. It was the only place where the Gentiles could pray. They weren't allowed beyond that point. It was the only place they could meet. And there was the selling of, of animals. And why was Jesus so upset? Because there was a corruption involved here. The corruption was this. During the feasts, you had to be there, especially for Passover, you had to be there... If you were a male Jew, you had to make the trek. And once you got there, you had to sacrifice an animal. Well, if you didn't have an animal, you could buy one there. You could buy a sheep when you, when you got there. Poor people bought doves. They couldn't afford to buy a sheep. They would offer doves. And so Jesus comes and he flips over the tables of the money changers and chases these guys out. In fact, in John's Gospel, it says he made a whip and drove them out. But you're going, Why? Well, there's a corruption. You know what I see here? The marketing of the sheep, the marketing of the saints. And I see it in the church today, too. It's interesting, now anything goes. Absolutely anything goes in the marketing of the saints. I mean, people look at the numbers of Christians that there are on this planet, and they go, hey, if we don't get our product out to these people, we're missing a big part of the market. And so they start marketing things, and you can buy all kinds of trinkety things it hasn't gone away has it there's still thieves and robbers there's still money changers there's still money changers in Israel but as I'm thinking about this I'm I'm going especially he singles out those selling doves well those were the offerings of the poor and Jesus doesn't take kindly to the sheep being marketed especially the poor ones he really is the helper of the helpless, the defender of the defenseless. And it says, "It is written." He said to them, "My house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers." I've really kind of drawn the line here at church. I know this is a little fellowship and stuff, but I really keep my eyes out for for the marketing of the saints. And there have been a couple times where I've had to tell people, "Look, you know, put your business cards away." I understand. I understand that that's what you do for a living, but you don't do it here. You know, there's a couple of things that we just, you know, just don't do that. We don't market the sheep. It says the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Now, it's not like Jesus doesn't have enough on his mind. He's going to the cross, and he's still just so full of compassion, just so full. Everybody that he turns to, the lame, he heals them. He healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read? Oh, there it is again. (laughs) Oh, man, that's got to be a real crack upside the head, you know. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. That's taken from Psalm 8, one of my favorite psalms, by the way. And he left them, and he went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Now remember, Bethany is the home of Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus were good friends of Jesus, and when he passed through there, it was just on the other side of the Mount of Olives, when he passed through there, he would stay there. So he wasn't staying in Jerusalem, he was staying in Bethany. And I look at this and I, I go, Jesus just called him out again. He just called the Pharisees out again. Don't you read? Don't you read the scriptures? Psalm 8? Don't you know your songbook? I was asked one time who my favorite musician was. I think it was David, even though I've never heard any of the music. Man, I I love reading the Psalms. So he goes back to Bethany, spends the night there. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. We talked about this when we were in Mark's Gospel a little bit. (coughs) Leaves usually meant fruit. If a tree was leafy, it usually meant fruit. So Jesus said he found nothing except leaves. And then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith... And do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, how many of you here think that Jesus was teaching his disciples how to curse a fig tree? Anybody? Show of hands. Nobody? Nobody? How many think that Jesus was teaching his disciples how to shift mountains around? On the, no. What's the purpose? Let's, let's look at this again, and let's keep this in its context. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. All right? This is part of Jesus' teaching on prayer. All right? Part of his teaching on prayer. What did he tell the disciples about prayer? Look at that model prayer that we just went through. First of all, we went through it in Matthew chapter 6. But several times, Jesus has taught these guys what it means to pray. We learned from Jesus' prayer in Matthew chapter 6 that prayer is not about getting your way. Prayer is not about getting your way. If you think that prayer is about getting your will, you're dead wrong. You don't understand prayer. Prayer is about getting your will in line with God's will. Okay? That whole model prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6 was about submission. What does he teach them to pray? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Your will as it is in, in heaven, that's what we want on earth. It's a prayer of submission. Sure, there were requests in there. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Those things. Yes, there are requests being made, and we're supposed to come to God in faith. But a disciple's prayer is never a selfish prayer. It's never a I, me, mine, gimme, gimme, gimme. It's never a, hey, watch this. See that fig tree? Watch this. You you understand what I'm saying? Please, please, don't think that Jesus is teaching his disciples here to go around cursing fig trees, okay, and moving mountains from here to there. The teaching here is concerning asking in prayer, and receiving what you ask for. And I would say that's something that you have to study out from Genesis to Revelation. There's some really neat things. James goes into it quite a bit. He talks about why you don't get what you pray for. He says you don't get what you pray for because you ask amiss. You're asking so that you can consume it upon yourself. Now, in some circles, some, and I put in quotations, Christian circles, they tell you to do that. Hey. You know, I heard a, I heard a, televangelist one time. Well, I, I don't, I, I don't want to call him an evangelist because I think that's really, that's really sad that they use that term because, um, evangel is really, a preaching of the gospel. You know. But there was this uh, television, preacher, a woman one day, and she was saying, um, if your wallet is empty, you need to get your wallet out, You need to put it on the table, and you need to speak to that wallet. And say, you big fat wallet, you know, I'm serious. I'm not making this up. This is a true. This is a true story. And and uh, you know, there are people that say, well, pray these things. They're saying, consume it upon yourself. You know, ask. You know, the scriptures don't teach that. They don't teach that. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, uh, Jesus was was really wealthy and he lived in a big house, wore designer clothes. I'm serious. This is you know, you won't find it in Scripture, but but you know they'll they'll tell you you know this is that's not what Jesus is saying. Please please, the fig tree really represents Israel. And the leafy stuff without the fruit, he's talking to the leadership, and he's he's he did this as a symbol. The cursing of the fig tree, watching the, the tree wither up and not bear fruit that 's exactly what was going on in the leadership in Israel. They were rejecting the Messiah in the name of all their rituals in the name of all now, if you saw one of the scribes or the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, Jesus describes them and he says, "You know you like to wear the long flowing robes and you like to be greeted in the marketplace as rabbi and, and uh, you like all those titles, you like the chief seats at the banquets and all that kind of. Stuff. So if you and I saw." one of these guys, we would go, ooh, wow, look at the leaves on that tree. You understand what I'm saying? On the outside, they looked really good. No fruit. No fruit. How can I say that? Because they themselves didn't know the Messiah. How could they be leading people to Christ? How could they be leading people to Messiah and opening up the door for Messiah when they were rejecting Messiah as he came in? That's why Jesus wept as he looked over Jerusalem. So this fig tree represents the leadership in Israel. All leaves, no fruit. All talk, no truth. All show, no substance. That's what we're dealing with here. Now Jesus entered the temple courts. And while he was teaching, and I really like that, one of the things that the Lord put on my heart when he called me into ministry, could I just sidetrack for for a second? Um, I want you to turn to the book of Acts for a second I got to show you this because this was the first time I ever heard the Lord's voice Acts chapter 26 some of you have heard me share this on occasion but some of the others have never heard this I was um, the bottom fell out of my life I was suicidal seriously I was going to take my own life I went back to my mother's house. I went up in my, my bedroom, my old bedroom, and I sat down on the bed and I just I just began to cry. It was just like, this is it. This is over. And um, and I prayed. Sincerely, I, I prayed. I, at that point, I didn't really even know if God was real. But I prayed. And I said, God, if you're real, you need to show me who you are and, and you need to give me purpose in my life because otherwise I'm out of here. You know, I, I I honestly didn't know I had grown up in a religious home, but I honestly didn't know if there was a God. And I and I prayed that prayer just sincerely from my heart. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed. I looked over on my dresser, and here, sitting on my dresser, was my grandmother's Bible. And uh, I remembered that my cousin told me, you know, God will speak to you in His Word. He'll He'll speak to you. And I just thought the guy was a fruitcake. But I went over and I, I thought, well, whatever, you know, this is. This is the last chance, Lord. It's now or never. I went over and I picked up this Bible and I just flipped it open. Now I don't suggest that you study the scriptures like that. I call that Bible roulette. You know that's not a good way to study. But God honored it because I was praying. I was sincere. I, I asked God to show me. And in chapter uh, 26 of the book of Acts, there's a, a Paul is recounting his Damascus Road experience to King Agrippa. Look at verse 12. Um, on one of these journeys. I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, O King, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard heard a voice. And in Aramaic, it's saying to me in Aramaic, now, um, try to understand this. I'm, tears, my eyes are kind of teary. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed. I'm ready to take my own life. It says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then, then I asked, who are you, Lord? Now, this is where I started reading right here after it says, who are you, Lord? It's so weird because that was the question I just asked. I said, God, you, you need to show me who you are. and You need to show me what my purpose is in this life where I'm out here. And this is what I read. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up. Stand on your feet. And I stood up. I'm serious. This is as true as you see me. say. I stood up. I got my grandmother's Bible. I stood up. And I I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't even know that the red letters were Jesus' words. That's how much I knew about Bibles. It said, Get up. Stand on your feet. I have appeared unto you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness. Actually, I was reading it in the King James, so it said as a minister and a witness. I have uh, appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness, of what you have seen of me, and what I will show you. And I'll rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's what I read. Now, God answered both of my questions. He answered, Who are you? He said, I'm Jesus. What's my purpose in life? Well, I'm going to make you a minister and a witness of these things that I'm going to show you. and I'm going to, You're going to go to your people, to the Gentiles. And you're to, now, it's Paul's testimony, but it spoke to me. And the Lord spoke to me through that. And so when I see Jesus entering the temple courts like this in Matthew 21, it says Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, Jesus taught. That's what he did more than anything else. You read the scriptures, and more than anything else, you see Jesus teaching. And when the Lord called me, when I finally realized what that meant, that he was going to make me a servant, a minister, a witness, when I finally realized what that meant, he broke through again and and said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to just teach the flock of God. So I have one thing. There's one thing that I do. I point people to Jesus. I teach the word. The Lord says, I'm going to have you turn them from the power of darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto, the God, unto God. And so that's, God, that's God's business. You know? But teach, I see Jesus teaching him, and he's like, wow. And the chief priests and the elders and the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Now, there's something that you and I need to be able to discern, and I want you to pray about this. We need to be able to discern when somebody is asking you a question because they sincerely want an answer, and when they're asking a question of you to lay a trap. I sat in my office this last week with a with a a man that wanted to share with some Jehovah Witnesses, and they've been coming to his door, and they've been asking these questions. And they ask the same qu- I mean, they ask the same questions at every door. Where do you, Where do you think you go after you die, and where are you going to spend eternity, and on and so forth. But they're not asking these questions because they want the answers. They're asking these questions to sow confusion. They want to take you to scriptures that point to we're going to inherit the earth. They don't believe in heaven. you know. Well, they believe that a very select few will inherit heaven. The rest of you inherit the earth. And so here, when somebody asks you a question and it's an insincere question, you need to be able to tell the difference. Jesus knew the difference because he could look right into their hearts. And when these guys came and they were trying to trip him up and they asked him this question, "What authority? By what authority? Now they didn't want to know. They didn't want to know because Jesus already had told them several times by what authority that he was teaching these things. He said, I don't say anything that I didn't see my, hear my father say and I don't do anything that I didn't see my father do. And if you reject me, you're rejecting the Father. I mean, he, he already went through all this stuff, so they knew that. But here's what Jesus does. I want you to understand this. Jesus knew a sincere question when he heard one. This was not one of them. So he answers with a question. He answers a question with a question. It says, Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. Now, get this, he didn't answer him yet. He says, I'll ask you, I'll ask you a question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? Now they discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he'll ask, Then why didn't you believe him? And if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Now get this. It's like this little chess game going on. Well, if we say this, he's going to say that. And if we say this, he's going to say that. And what if he says this? Well, you know, they didn't want an answer. They didn't want to know where he got his authority. They wanted to make a fool out of Jesus in front of the people. That's why they were at last week, we talked about the divorce question. You know, we went through that in our study last week. Why were they asking that question? Because they wanted to know about divorce? No, they wanted Jesus to disagree with Moses so that they could say, well, you know what? God gave the law to Moses we know that and this guy disagrees with Moses so that means he's not from God you see that that was their angle they were always trying to stir it up and and watch what happens here they said we don't know and then Jesus said well neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things and I'll tell you when people ask you insincere questions you'll never give them no matter what answer you give them it won't satisfy usually needs leads to another question And then another question, and then another question, and they want to sow discord and confusion. Well, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. Now remember, he just told that parable of the vineyard, but now I want you to understand this is a parable of an obedient and a disobedient son. The question is, which one are you? Which one am I? And he's telling this to the Pharisees. Now remember, he he just painted this this picture in, in cursing the fig tree and it withering and not bearing fruit. Here's a picture of the leadership in Israel right now. That's the shape they're in. He went to the first son and said, go to work in my vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he didn't go. Now, Which of the two did what the Father wanted? The first they answered, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. You realize what a statement that is? He's looking at the leadership in the temple, in the synagogue, and he's saying, The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering into the kingdom ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a wine press in it. He built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he went away on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. You get the picture now? This is, this is really, I mean, uh, last week we read a little bit of uh, Psalm, or maybe it was a week before, we read a little bit of Psalm chapter 5, which was uh, a song of the vineyard. And, and it was really, again, it was a reference to Israel. And the Lord says, "You know, I I had this vineyard and I planted it on in good soil on a hillside. I took care of it, dug a wine press, had you know, took really good care. But you know, I I looked for good fruit and it only bore bad bad fruit. Well, now he's saying that it was rented out. He went the the um, he went on a journey. He rented the vineyard to some farmers. And went on a journey, and then he sent some servants." to collect the fruit. The tenants, it says in verse 35, seized his servants, they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. Now Jesus is painting a portrait here of exactly what's happening. He's talking about the prophets They came, you killed them, you stoned them. Israel killed them, stoned them. Last he sends his only son. They'll respect my son, he said. In Mark's gospel, he calls him his beloved son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. It's an interesting reference to the fact that Jesus was crucified outside the city. They threw him outside. Threw him outside and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Now, these guys aren't dumb. I mean, they're listening to this story. This is a setup here because it's almost like, you know, David... Remember when David sinned with Bathsheba, and Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him the story about this guy who had these big flocks and all this stuff, and then and then but he had company coming, he didn't want to take a lamb out of his flock, so he went over and he took his neighbor's only lamb. And he killed that lamb. And David's just steaming. He's listening to Nathan tell this story, and David said, That guy deserves to die. And David said, You're the man. I mean Nathan said to David, You're the man. The same thing here. Jesus tells this story. Look at their answer. This is what they answered. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, verse 42, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? Wow. This reference here to the cornerstone, again, we read from Psalm 118. Didn't we just read that? This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna And the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're rejecting him? He's the cornerstone. What are you thinking? The conversation that we had with the, with the elders from the Kingdom Hall. I was washing my car one day, and these guys came up, and, and they said something about uh, having a Bible study. And I said, boy, I'll study the Scriptures with you anytime. Now, if you want to have a Scripture war, that's a whole other ball ballgame. Don't invite me. I don't want to have a Scripture war. The Bible says that God's Word is sharper than a two-edged sword. We start slinging it back and forth at each other. Somebody's going to get hurt. I don't do that. But, you want to study the scriptures? Come on over. So we invited the elders from the Kingdom Hall to come over. And for an hour and 20 minutes, they went through all their doctrines. They pointed at all the other churches, said what was wrong with every other church and why the, Je- the, the, the Jehovah Witnesses were the religion. The Watchtower Bible and Tract Society was the sole channel through which God spoke, and so on and so forth. And my wife and I listened for about an hour and 20 minutes never said a word, just listened, when they were all out of steam, they said, well, what do you think? And you know what? The only thing I could think of was what Peter said to the Sanhedrin in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts when he said, you're trying to build a church and you don't have a cornerstone. And there's a storm coming. And when the storm comes, when the storm hits, it's all going to crumble. Everything that's not built on Jesus Christ is going to be wiped out And you're not building on Jesus. You got another gospel. And you know how I know that that was the Holy Spirit? Because at that point, there was no argument, there was no debate, there was no rebuttal. They got up, we shook hands, they left. And I'm telling you, Jesus says to them, Have you never read the scriptures? We never read in the scriptures. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Who were the builders? The builders were the leadership in Israel, and they're rejecting the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, verse 43, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone, this stone? Yeah, Jesus. He who stumbles on Jesus, and I think we all have, He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. That's pretty heavy. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, now when it says that, it's not just referring to this parable of the vineyard, but it's also referring to this parable back here of the two sons. It says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Wow, good. That's good. You're catching on. You know, you want to go. Boy, you guys you guys must really be geniuses. You know, he's talking about you. But the question is, what are you going to do about it? Here's what they did. Verse 46 says, "They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet." Hmm. They were literally fulfilling the words of prophecy, the words of Psalm 118. They're literally fulfilling these words by rejecting the cornerstone. Now, stop and ask yourself, who was in charge of this vineyard that he was talking to? Who was in charge at the time? It was the Pharisees. It was the scribes. It was the teachers of the law. It was the elders. It was all those guys that Jesus was going to be turned over, and that's why he wept on his way into Jerusalem. If you only knew that this is the day, this is the day. Now, before we close this study tonight, I want you to think about this. If if these blind men knew that Jesus was Lord, son of David, what excuse will any man have, particularly in this country? I know we have a, a member of the Gideon Society here. You ask anybody in this country, you ever been in a hospital? you ever been in a hotel? You ever, what excuse will anybody in this country have for not responding to the call of God? What excuse will they have? So you stop and think of who is in charge. You look at their response. Now they want to kill them. Now they want to arrest them and kill them. Before we close this Bible study tonight, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. I really didn't have, I really wasn't intending to go to that section of Acts 26 before, but I wanted to share that with you because the call that the Lord put on my life is is uh, so important to me. I take that very seriously in the teaching of God's Word. But I want to draw your attention to Acts chapter four this time, and uh, this is what I was just speaking to you about Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. Now, remember that the Sanhedrin is, is the, um, that's the court. They're, they're going before the court here. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4 in the book of Acts, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, um, one of the reasons they were Sadducee is because they didn't believe in the resurrection, they came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now, you got to picture this. These are large crowds. I mean, 5,000 people? That's a, that's a, that's a big number. And God's adding to the church just like he said he would. And, and by the way, that's not including women. It's just, this is the number of guys. Verse 5. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now this is a reference to the healing of the of the guy on the temple steps. They you know Peter looked at this guy and and that was asking alms because he was a crippled beggar. He was asking alms and Peter said silver and gold have I none but you know such as I have give I thee and he, and he says in the name of Jesus stand up and walk and the guy stood up and walked and he was healed and it was just such such an incredible miraculous thing that they're saying what by what power or what name did you do this? Kind of what the guys were just asking Jesus. By what, what authority do you have to go into the temple and start flipping tables over and making a whip and chasing guys out? And what, you know, what authority do you have? And then Peter, and take note of this, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is, and he's not referring to the man who's healed, he's referring to Jesus, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Now Peter, by the Holy Spirit, tells the the, the, and let's look back at who the, who these guys are. They're the rulers. They're the elders. They're the teachers of the law in Jerusalem. And even name some of them. And he says, you rejected the capstone. He says in verse 12, salvation, and isn't that what we just read in Matthew's gospel? This is what they're talking about. Save now. Hosanna. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No other name. No other name. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, I want you to take a look around this room. What do you see? Scholars? <laughs> no. No. You are the same kind of people. I am the same kind of person that Jesus chose. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's all I care about. All I care about is that somebody might recognize that I've spent time with Jesus. And that's what you and I have done tonight. By coming together, by praying, worshiping him, opening up his word, opening up our hearts, and letting the Lord speak to us. You know what? You will not be duped when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll, you'll stand toe-to-toe with people that will say, He's not God. And you'll just go, Well, the only reason why you say that is because you don't know him. <laughs> That's the only reason you say that. you know, And I'll do everything in my power to convince you that he is. Although I can't draw you, only the Holy Spirit can draw you to Jesus. But here's what Jesus was up against. He came in, his own rejected him. He was a light shining in a dark place, and he was rejected by his own. But I look at these words of of the Lord's, and I go, I am so glad that God has taken these ordinary people and said, you know what, let me introduce myself. And he drew us to himself by his Spirit, by his Son, by a relationship. And by by the way, there's no other way. And people will tell you, well, there's many, many roads, and they all lead to the same place. Well, that's true. Praise God we don't have to go there. They do all lead to the same place. It's called destruction. That's the wide road Jesus talked about. But he said, there's a narrow road that leads to eternal life. And he said, I'm it. Let's just thank him as we leave here tonight. Let's just thank him. And ask him to, Lord, give us the boldness that you gave Peter and John. Let's pray. Father, it's not important to us that um, people see us um, cursing trees and watching them wither. It's not important to us that we move mountains from one landscape to another. What's important, Father, is that we spend time with you, sincerely seeking you, crying out, sometimes even through our tears, Sometimes even through our blindness, calling out to you and saying, God, I'm tired. I'm I'm tired of trying to make my own choices. I'm tired of making mistakes. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to know your will. I want to follow you. I need your Holy Spirit, Lord. And that's our prayer tonight as we leave this place. Father, that you would fill us so full of your Holy Spirit that all people would notice is that we've spent time with you. If we're bold Let us be bold in Jesus. And Father, I pray because time is short. Only you know how short, Lord. But I pray, Father, that you'd give us a boldness to share our testimonies, what you've done for us. And I just pray that your spirit would go forth, just flow through us. Lord, if there's anything in us or about us or around us, that's displeasing to you, we want to surrender it. We want to give it up. We ask that you'd cleanse us. Father, if, if, if we're serving mammon, if there's some idol, if there's some, if there's some dirt in our life that needs to be cleaned up, God, I just pray that one-on-one, Lord, in the gentle way that you do, that you would call it to our attention and cause us to lay it down, just lay it down at the foot of the cross, that we could be clean vessels that your Holy Spirit could flow through. And that's our prayer tonight as we leave this place. Thank you for the cornerstone, Jesus. Thank you for calling us to a relationship with you. Now, Lord, please use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.